Hi, I'm Jack. Hi, I'm Tash. Welcome back to another Sorry Voices podcast. And this month we are celebrating Purple Tuesday. Purple Tuesday is an awareness day all about accessibility and inclusion. Purple Tuesday was started back in 2018 and continues to grow globally. Accessibility is important to us at Sorry Choices and we wanted to see places really are accessible so that all customers can enjoy access to products, services and experiences. Grabbing a sandwich or nipping it to the shops should only take a couple of minutes. But this isn't the reality for everyone. Every day people overcome accessibility barriers to be able to live their lives. These things often get overlooked. In today's show, we want to explore what accessibility means, how we can all do better to be inclusive. We explore the Science Museum and accessible information. And what about the journey? Later, we speak to TFL for all things public transport. Also, Passel Inclusion talk to us about how businesses can be more inclusive. But first, we wanted to see what places are accessible and we use Access Able's Access Guides. It's kind of like Google, but for accessibility, it tells you about a venue before you get there. You can select your accessibility needs and filter through restaurants, hotels and other popular locations. Find out what places work for you before you even leave the house making days out and new experiences a lot less stressful. Now let's chat to Carrie-Anne, our friend from Access Able. Hi Carrie-Anne, my name is Poppy and I work with Social Choices. Hi Carrie-Anne, I'm Martin. It's a pleasure to meet you today. Hi, hi Martin. Hi to both of you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Looking forward to chatting with you and telling you a bit more about my work. What is Accessable? So Accessable is the UK's leading provider of detailed disabled access information. So we provide detailed access guides to tens of thousands of venues across the UK so that disabled people via our website can find information about the venues that they want to go to before they arrive. And um, crucially, what makes Access Able different from other information providers is that we send a trained surveyor to visit every single venue that you see listed on our website. So that really gives confidence that the information that you see has been checked in person by somebody who has been trained and you can trust it. What is accessibility and why is it important? I think this is a really interesting question. Thank you, Martin. So I think accessibility means something different to everybody. I think all disabled people have slightly different access requirements and needs. Um, but, but broadly, it's about enabling inclusion so that everybody has the same chances to access work, life, etc., um, regardless of their condition or impairment. 
and I think that's very important for um, for equality, for equity, and to allow disabled people autonomy and choice over their own lives. Thank you very much, Kelly. For people who don't know what some of the bigger access difficulties people have, I think access difficulties again, can really differ from person to person. Disability is a huge spectrum, right? But me, personally, I'm a wheelchair user. I have cerebral palsy. I also have several conditions that you can't see. Um, And I think that wheelchair use is always the one that people think about when they think about accessibility or inclusion or what difficulties people might have. They might immediately think about ramps or level access, lifts, wide doorways, etc. But I think that it's much broader than that and there are much many other considerations that can be given. So things like what are the lighting levels like? What's the background noise level like? Do you play background music? Is there a safe or quiet space available for somebody who might be neurodivergent or um, someone who has dementia? Um, what are the facilities in terms of assistive listening systems? Are they available? Are there facilities for assistance dogs available? Are the toilets wheelchair accessible? Will always be something that I think comes up frequently. But there's so many other considerations within that for toileting. So, for example, are there facilities for people who use a stoma or colostomy bag to be able to change their bag whilst they're in the toilet? Um, So I think, again, access difficulties really differ from person to person. I think it's important that we consider the possibilities beyond mobility and wheelchair use. On your website, you have a cool search bar to search for accessible places. Do company register to be part of your search engine? Thank you, Martin. So, yeah, we work with lots of different companies and organisations across the UK and Ireland. And they commission us directly to go and survey their venues, spaces and facilities. So yeah, there is a sort of a form of registration essentially and we work with these partners or clients on a contracted basis because you know somebody has to cover the cost of the time for our surveyors to go and visit the venues, our internal team to be able to create the access guide following the visit, etc. So that's really how we work with clients and companies and how they work with us to get their venues onto our website. On Wednesday and go to a dance group, I noticed last night with um, some time I am a wheelchair either uh-huh. and I noticed that they got a hoist in the toilet and it's something that you don't see much out in public although I started to notice it very very slowly I think the Guildford we got a massive um, shopping centre, which I noticed again, I think, there's a, a horse in the disabled top, which is really good. So I think it's slowly becoming more 
best to go as the years go on. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm so glad that you found our website helpful. And and actually, one of the the separate projects that we've been looking at, reaching out to some people with learning disabilities to get some more formal user testing done on our site. What is your plan for Accessible? I think we've got some very exciting future plans for Accessible. One of those is that we will be expanding our work internationally and we'll be... um, publishing announcements about that very soon. We're also gearing up for our latest national consultation exercise with our users. So in the next few weeks, we'll be releasing a survey called Accessibility in You, which disabled people can, and disabled people and carers, anybody connected with disability, can come on, answer some questions and tell us about how they search for accessibility information in advance, where they find it, whether or not it's useful, and how we can make improvements to our work. Because really, consultation with disabled people is is crucial to what we do, and it underpins everything that we do. And it's been part of our strategy since we were first founded in the year 2000. Um, so this, this survey is sort of the next iteration of that and being able to consult on a national level, which we're very excited about. Right. If you were going to like a concert or something, yeah, and say it's, the lift, it's, it's not working or something, what's the alternative way from the ground level to the uh, destination? Thank you, Martin. That's a, that's a really interesting question. And I think that will really depend, you know, alternative ways to access when lifts aren't available will really depend on the individual venue itself and what facilities and procedures they've put in place for that. I know that some venues use things that are called evacuation chairs that can be used in the event of a lift not working or a fire, for example. But it would really depend on individual venue directly. And we'd really encourage people to reach out to the venue directly and I suppose ask that question in advance of attending somewhere if that's something that they were concerned about just like to tell the listeners where they can find more information about Accessable. So our website address is www.accessable.co.uk. Also find us on all of the usual social media channels at Accessable. And we'd love for you to interact with our social posts, give us some comments, let us know what you think about our work. That's brilliant. Carrie on, it's been a pleasure interviewing you today thank you and i'll be in touch really soon take care and now we're going to talk to the salt museum the salt museum was founded in 1857 and it's one of the biggest attractions it brings in more than three million living in here Hello, going by Fiona, who's from the Salt Museum. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Poppy. Thanks for inviting me here. Thank you for taking the time to do this um, interview. So, Fiona, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? So, my name's Fiona Slater. I'm Head of Access and Equity at the Science Museum Group. 
So it's actually five museums across the UK, which are all related to science. The Science Museum in London is one of them, and that's where I'm usually based. Um, and then we have the Science and Industry Museum in Manchester, the Science and Media Museum in Bradford. We have a railway museum, the Railway Museum in York and Locomotion uh, in Shildon. So um, my role as Head of Access and Equity is to think about making sure all those museums are open to everyone. So different audiences can come in, enjoy the collection, enjoy the museum and um, get involved in the events that we run. So that's my my role. Why is access important to the museum? Why is it important for museum to be accessible? So we talk a lot about being open for all. Um, but what we mean by that is that the collection, essentially, we have thousands of objects in the collection related to science, technology, engineering and maths. Um, and they're, they're not really our objects, they're the nation's objects. So the collections belong to everyone. And as such, it means that everybody should be able to come into our museums and access these uh, uh, objects and kind of learn from them and have conversations about them. So we want to make sure that the actual building uh, is open and accessible to everyone but also that the um, environment feels welcoming so people feel at home and they feel like our museums are for them essentially so yeah it's important to us because it's our it's our nation's collections and everybody should have the opportunity to enjoy them accessible we have a range of ways that people can access the collection so we we think a lot about in our museums around sensory access because they can be busy spaces it can be quite noisy at times um so we think a lot around how accessible the environment might be in terms of those sensory access requirements we try to make sure that that's as flexible as possible so if people want a quieter sort of space that we have those quieter spaces or we have ear defenders that people can borrow some so in that respect we think about how people can access the the uh, exhibits in a way that feels comfortable for them and then we also have other ways that we might think around access in terms of uh, some of our exhibits that are film or uh, audio visual might have captions or or sign language interpretation um, some of our exhibits have, they come with an audio description, but there's a range of different ways. We, we also try to um, include sort of opportunities for people to touch and get hands on with objects. Sometimes these are replicas, they're not always a, a, a original object, but sometimes um, we have a, a hands-on collection of, of objects from the collection that people can touch as well. So, yeah, I'd say there's a range of ways that we're thinking about it. I mean, I wouldn't say all exhibits are fully accessible, but I think that's quite difficult because lots of people have different access requirements. So we might not be able to make things fully accessible all the time, but we're certainly considering the different ways that we might do that. Are there any decisions or conditions for benefit with visual events or are there any resources for visitors with hearing impairment? So for visitors with 
uh, visual impairments, so blind and partially sighted visitors. We have some uh, range of hands-on sort of tactile uh, objects and opportunities at the museums. Um, in the uh, Science Museum, we've got a new gallery called Technicians, which is um, introducing people to the role of technici the technician or maybe expanding their awareness of what a technician is and means. Um, and that uh, is an interactive gallery, which is very hands-on. So anything that's out on display is available to touch. So that gallery for, for people with visual impairments can be quite an accessible one in terms of um, the hands-on experience. But also we have an audio trail, which we, we created with input from blind and partially sighted people, which is we designed it and we hope it's a kind of equivalent experience. So it takes you through the role of the technician in uh, you're recruited as a kind of trainee technician. And it's a bit of a, a kind of journey and story that you go on through that audio trail. So we've definitely considered that in our new gal newest gallery, Technicians. Um, and in terms of visitors with hearing impairments, we also have lots of content is in British Sign Language. So we do have that across the museum. Um, so that's definitely been a consideration there. And we sometimes have, so we have a, a late program. Evenings will be open later. And we've run British Sign Language tours as part of that as well. It's not always at the lates, but um, it, we advertise it when it is available because we work quite closely with our deaf tour guide and he selects the trails that, that will work particularly well. So we uh, often have live British Sign Language tours as well. Wow, thank you very much. Do you have any behind-the-scenes stories where the museum went above and beyond? The first thing that springs to mind um, is not necessarily about um, a visitor's accessibility needs, but it was around... Um, somebody who had a particular area of interest and are uh, we've got colleagues here who are called explainers and they are in the galleries helping visitors and explaining and kind of supporting them to access the collection and to learn from the collection and to, to kind of have a, an engaging and interesting time so our explainer um we were running an event with rnib so that uh charity that works with blind and partially sighted people and um, one of the visitors um, was was taking part in the workshops, but they had a real interest in um, aeroplanes. They were really, really fascinated by aeroplanes. That wasn't something that was part of the event, but our senior explainer, Ollie, uh, decided to sort of take them off and do a sort of private tour for them around all of the um, plane-related uh objects and items and planes that are in the collection and on display in the science museum so it wasn't necessarily about their accessibility needs we do have colleagues here who really know the collection well and they're always willing to go above and beyond to kind of make sure that people get um can can kind of access and find out about the things that they really passionate about what's on at the science museum at the moment is there anything exciting coming up? Yes. So at the moment we have an exhibition called Turn It Up and um, Turn It Up explores music and the, the, the power that music has on us and the kind of connection that we 
many of us have to, to music. So that's the, the current exhibition that's on at the moment and it's definitely worth um, a visit. Uh, we've um, it's, it, it includes kind of narratives and stories from a range of different people who have come to music through different routes and it, including disabled people who are um, yeah creating their music in their own way and uh, people that use music for different reasons so it's a, a fascinating exhibition there's a lot of music in the exhibition so in terms of the sound levels it's quite uh, a lot going on but we have a very exciting immersive chill out space which is in the middle of the exhibition and we have um, as always ear defenders and things like that for people to borrow at the ticket desk if they want to that's on at the moment we also have a new gallery which is a part of the ticketed offer is um we've got something called power up which is gallery which has video games and is showcasing the history of video games but essentially an opportunity to come in and play your favorite video game in the science museum okay that's all all rather question that i enjoyed our interview with fiona from the science museum in london and Fiona Wolfe is over listeners want to come to the museum. Do they need to do it once or can they just turn up? We do encourage people to book a ticket in advance, um, which is a free ticket. You can book online or by um, calling our, our sort of main info line. That's just to kind of manage the numbers for, for sort of timed entry. Like I say, the museum visit is free. If you don't have a ticket, though, you can still turn up on the day and you can basically get a walk-up ticket and that's fine. So I wouldn't worry if you can't get a ticket before, just turn up and um, we're usually able to accommodate people on the day. Access is really important to me because sometimes I'm a wheelchair user. And sometimes I find it hard to unbelieve it to where I can go. So that's a big issue for me. So I chat with Sam about those for routine users. So few parts that I'm disabled myself, I got spastic conopedia. In all four things, I don't mind playing it so well. And so therefore, I can't walk far. I use the wheelchair for long distances. I get pain in the body sometimes on a daily basis. That's part of my disability. What I don't like, and this is my strong point, people to not take advantage using an access pass they need to have some rooms. Thank you been to Chessington with the Avengers. So I got a story a couple of years ago I lived in that incident limit and I went to Chessington for a day just to get the house. So Michael and I Attention, we queued up, got to the front, they said, oh yeah, you need a pass. 
and we literally turned up, what? So it took us another half an hour, and when I got to the front of the queue, it felt really annoying because there was plenty of daytime with <laughs> I had to get my disabled then. I had to go, even though I was in my wheelchair, my queue was like, well, we could see. <laughs> we had to pay to honestly to get in the pot of which you got in for free. Even when I paid for that song, they did message up where you could get a fast track. They need to have some sort of, like, we need to show your blue bag if you're dismissed or you got autism or something. You're title to a access. What? There's a mention that when I pay into the um, but so people quite love when the car pass and. Well, to be quite honest with mine, because my disabled badge has a 10 or with my disabled bag for me, but why isn't it with them automatically? Because the truth is that, folks. Because don't forget that all disabilities are not obvious. Disabilities are not all physical. Okay. You got oh. hidden. That why it says on the disabled toilet, please be aware that some disabled people are not, that mine is physical. You can see that I've got something physical and disability. I don't get your thin pants because when I try to do that on any wires, anything like that, I can't put on them. Because, you know, um, I got material in. I can't put on any white. Really? Yeah. One. What I'm trying to say is to, to you, Fox, some of the boys I can't go on, I, I have struggles trying to get off from me as well. And there are about restrictions. Maybe. Pass. It's funny saying that because I've got a friend who got a dwarfism. That's what she got. And, and I know Warwick Davis. He got his daughter. And again, they can't go with it because of the height. And I don't think it's fair. They should build a reality called this all day. Um, it's not just being put in, it's everywhere, but that's another subject. Um, yeah, I just wish, <laughs> I just wish that they would include every single body and disability. That is my grill, that's what really gets me. A lot more people will have wheelchair, a lot of people disability. We need to think about how 
it could be more diversity. But same as London, I mean, it's good that we are lit for the position parking, but we are restricted where we could go because I can't use the underground. And then you would have thought after the Paralympics. In 2012, standard it won't be more. It's just... Please, mind the gap. Let's start to TML. TML is Castle for London. Hello, this is David Lance with Choices Waves, and today we are joined by Mark, rep- representing Transport for London. Thank you, of course, and uh, and thank you very much, everyone, for having me today. So my name's Mark Evers, uh, and my job at Transport for London is our Chief Customer Officer. I've had the pleasure of working at Transport for London for almost 20 years, so an awfully long time, and have done a variety of different jobs during that time. But almost all of them have involved trying to make improvements for our customers, for the people that use our services sometimes every day, sometimes multiple times a day, but equally sometimes less frequently. And um, a lot of that work has been around trying to make improvements so that everybody is able to take advantage of uh, everything that London has to offer. Uh, Transport for London is a really big organisation and we have responsibility for running all of the public transport services in London. Well, almost all of them. Some of the, the national rail services that we don't operate. We run the uh, the buses in London, the London Overground, the Docklands Light Railway, uh, trams. Uh, but we're also responsible for uh, all of the major roads in London, so the red routes, Um, the traffic signals, the congestion charging zone, those sorts of things. Um, And that's all the stuff that runs like day in and day out. Uh, But also uh, it's our responsibility to work with the mayor of London to implement policy changes and to make investments in sort of new transport schemes so that London continues to be a uh, prosperous and thriving green city uh, that people want to live in and come to visit in the future. Why is accessibility important for TFL? It's important for a TFL because it's our responsibility to operate and to uh, develop for the future a transport system that works well for all Londoners and for anybody that wants to to sort of travel around the city. Um, yeah, London is an amazing world city with so many uh, opportunities uh, for people, but um, we recognise that at the moment there are various barriers um, within the transport network that means that um, for some people it's more difficult to use or in a few instances impossible to use. Uh, And we need to work very hard to ensure that uh, we address uh, those barriers and remove them where we can or to provide other ways for people to make use of the transport network so that that everybody can um, can sort of you know, get to jobs um, so that everybody can sort of get to the right educational opportunities uh, to to healthcare appointments to just visit friends and family transport is sort of one of those things which um, 
it's sort of the the glue that holds people's lives together and um you know at tfl it's, it's our job to sort of try to ensure that everybody um is able to to sort of make use of transport so that's why accessibility is important and we've worked really hard over many years to make improvements to the accessibility of the transport network often people sort of gravitate to sort of step-free access and the importance of making transport services physically accessible but um, that's only one part of it and we recognize that actually for a lot of people it isn't the, the physical accessibility of the network that makes it difficult to use it can be other things it can be the the complexity of um, you know traveling around the network or the information that we provide to people uh, in other instances it's the support that our staff can provide so that's why it's really important that we provide them with disability and equality training so that they know how best to yeah. assist everybody that's using the transport network um, we know that for some people there isn't a, a visible um, sort of disability or reason why traveling might be difficult but for some reason it, it can be and that's why we've introduced uh, the please offer me a seat badge um, which we've issued more than 100,000 of that can sort of uh, help people to make it known that they might need a seat when they're traveling on the public transport network. So lots of different things that we're doing to try to you know, make improvements to the accessibility of the transport network, but but still a big task ahead of us as well. EFL does a great job connecting London. Do you know how many accessible stations there are? I, I do know there are um, around about... 200 step-free stations in London um, and that sort of breaks down in different amounts depending upon which type of rail service that you're talking about. So uh, on the London Underground network or the, the Tube network we've got 92 accessible stations which is a lot in some ways um, but given that we've got 272 stations on the Underground network um, only about one-third are accessible. So a lot more work to do there. And, and it's an area where we've made significant improvements in, in the number of stations that are step free in the past few years. Uh, and we've got plans to make more stations accessible on the tube. Um, but but yeah, we've, we've got more work to do there. Um, on the London Overground Network, we've got 62 stations um, which are accessible. Uh, and on the Docklands Light Railway or the DLR, as it often gets shortened to, uh, all of our stations are accessible. So um, across the board, um, slightly more than 50% of stations are accessible, you know, from being able to sort of access the train by using a lift. Uh, and some instances, people are able to then sort of move from the platform to the train via sort of level access. Um, but in some instances, uh, we need to uh, provide some assistance with a member of staff putting a, a ramp between the station sorry, station platform and the and the train that's there as well. So um, it's an area where we have to do a lot more work on. Um, it's also an area where it can be very, very expensive um, to to put in place you know, new lifts at stations. Um, you know, unfortunately, when the engineers were designing many of our tube stations, in some instances more than 160 years ago, um, accessibility wasn't front and centre of, of their minds at the time. So certainly within central London, often there isn't the space available to, to sort of put in lifts or at least to, to do that simply. So uh, we, we sort of try to target those stations where we know that there will be 
the most customer benefit where um, we can really make a big difference to customer journey times and the number of people that are able to, to use that. But then also looking at, you know, where we can do that in a cost-effective way or where we can work with other property developers or, or other people that might have some money as well to help us to, to make those improvements to the transport network. There are maps and guides available for people to help them to travel around the network. One of the, the really helpful tools that, that we have available is the TFL Go app um, that people can sort of download onto their, onto their phones. Um, and that has a, a map of the, the Cheerban rail network. And you can even sort of, uh, press a button on that app and it removes the lines and all the stations that are inaccessible so that you see a map that is the accessible tube network. So that's quite a, a helpful thing. Um, obviously we know that not everybody's comfortable with using, um, you know, a computer or a smartphone. And so we provide other sort of maps as well that sort of just show uh, which stations are accessible and which, which aren't. Um, there are really detailed maps available as well that will tell you the exact distances between the, the train uh, and, and the platform. So how far the horizontal gap is between the, the platform edge and the train and how high the difference is, so what the vertical difference is, so that you know people can assess that so that they can think about the the wheelchair that they are using perhaps or or how high they can step up when they're trying to board a train so that they have that information. Um, we know that it's not just about sort of step-free access though, so uh, we've got a toilet map which is really important to lots of people as well because they need to get access to uh, a public toilet when they're traveling, often at really short notice. Um, so we have a map that says where the toilets are. Um, and then also on our website and on the, the TFL Go app as well, we have sort of information around the opening hours and sort of where within the station those toilet facilities are. Um, that, that is an area where we're, we're looking to do some more work at the moment to increase the number of toilets that we have on the network. Um, at the moment, there are some some parts of uh, the rail network that have quite a lot of toilets and other bits that that don't. So that's uh, some gaps that we need to fill there as well. Um, but there's an awful lot of information available to help people to travel around. Um, sometimes it's not maps or guides though. There are different ways that we can provide that information. So uh, right at the moment, actually, we're doing some work with uh, Google to come into our stations and sort of film those stations. A bit like if you might've seen um, Street View on Google Maps. So you can sort of actually see what it looks like we sort of walk down the street. Um, well, we're doing that within some of our stations as well, so that before you travel, you can uh, go to a station on the, on the website and you'll be able to sort of um, virtually navigate through the station so that you can understand, you know, how long the corridors might be, where there might be places for you to sit and have a rest, um, you know, how many steps there are that you might need to go up. Because again, it's one of those things where some people, um, might need a fully accessible route actually it'll be okay for them to walk up and down you know two three four steps um but for other people that that's a, a barrier that they can't overcome so you know, we're always looking for for new ways to provide information for people um we're also doing a trial uh with a company called navilens that um uses a bit like a colorful qr code if you're familiar with those that they put on um station signs so that you can again look at 
goes through your phone and it'll, um, if you have a vision impairment, it will read out what that sign would say. So that, you know, lots of different ways that we, we try to make the, the, the network as uh, accessible as possible by providing that customer information as well. Priority seating is often available on many trains, but during busy seat times, they're often taken. What would be the best way for someone who has a invisible disability to ask for the seat without coming off as a bit rude, I suppose? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that um, we were made aware of um, a few years ago now through having conversations with uh, customers that, that don't have a, a visible disability. Um, and so one of the things which we've done is to develop and, and launch this, please offer me a seat badge because, you know, we, we know that, you know, for some customers, they, they don't want to have to talk about their disability or a condition that, that means that they, uh, require a seat. Um, and actually that, that's a, a distressing thing for them to do. So, um, this idea of having a, a badge that you can wear, um, so that, uh, others can can see that perhaps you require that that seat, um, and so hopefully customers will offer a seat uh, to somebody that that needs it more than they do. Alongside that, we have done work to make available more priority seats and to make it clearer what those seats are for. We have introduced like seat covering, so the actual cloth material that's on the seat that will sort of have, you know, this is a priority seat, um, or we have sort of more signage around that seat, either on buses or on trains, so that uh, when people do sit in them, they're more likely to realise that um, if somebody else needs that seat more than them, that they should be giving it up. And then alongside that, we we do a lot of work through marketing campaigns and other customer information to try to encourage people to be more aware of the customers around them and to sort of think about whether or not somebody might benefit from from having a seat more than they do. Um, yeah, for, for people that feel comfortable to do so, um, you know, the vast majority of our customers are, are really nice and friendly. And if they're made aware that somebody might need a seat more than them, they're more than happy to give, give up that seat. But um, obviously, you know, everybody's a little bit different in what they're comfortable in, in sort of doing and asking. So, so that's why we, we work to try to make uh, others aware of, of, of this requirement and, and hopefully uh, a bit more on the, the lookout for, for who they can offer up their seat to. How can passengers provide feedback and how does TFL use this feedback to improve their service? I mean, aside from websites or the app? We, we really welcome feedback from customers who well, hopefully have had a good experience. Good feedback is, is nice and it's, it's great for us to be able to share that with you know um operational colleagues who've done a great job but equally if we don't get it right we need to know that and we need to know well what we can do to make it better and so there are a variety of different ways that our customers are able to provide that feedback all of our tube stations and rail stations are staffed so if you've had a problem uh, one option is to talk to a member of staff that you see as you're traveling and to let them know uh, what's gone wrong and um, and they can capture that feedback and pass it on so that we can can sort of try to tackle that problem. We have a contact center that people can call up. The number's available online, but it's also uh, 0343-222-1234. And if people call that number, then they can provide that, that feedback as well. You can go to the TFL 
website and you can sort of provide us with comments there on sort of like a, an email sort of we have the, the address on on the on that site uh, and then we also have a well i was going to say twitter account but it's sort of an x account now tfl access that um where we share information around sort of the accessibility of the transport network but equally people can can post to that as well and we monitor that 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 sort of feed and are able to again take take feedback in that way as well so so lots of different ways that that um customers are able to tell us where we we can do better in the future because um only by knowing where the problems are can we can we sort of make those improvements tfl also has a travel mentoring service and so we recognize that some for some people traveling on the network independently can be daunting it can be sort of especially doing it for the first time or if you're taking a journey to a location that, that you're not familiar with and you just haven't sort of either used that particular type of you know train service before so so we've got this this travel mentoring service where you can get in contact with us um, the details again are on the, the sort of the TFL website or you can get those details by calling us up and, and speaking to, to one of the people in our in our customer services uh, center as well. And we can provide sort of advice over the phone as to how to make that journey. But but beyond that, um, we can also get somebody to come on and escort a journey with you to sort of uh, just to show you how to put money onto an Oyster card or how to plan your journey um, to take you on that journey for the first time so that you're familiar with it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of something that can hopefully provide you know, people with the confidence to travel um, by themselves. And I think it's sort of a something which we'd like more people to to take advantage of because yeah coming back full circle to what you know we, we talked about at the beginning you know transport for london's job is to ensure that you know londoners and people that visit to london can really make the most of everything on offer in the city and um yeah transport's a key part of that and, and we are really keen to make sure that that everybody is able to use our services so that they can make the most of what london has to offer one question that was spring to my mind was um just any updates i guess on you les as as um we talked about a little earlier yeah transport for london's job is to implement the policies of the mayor of london and yeah the, the mayor is seeking to create a london that's you know, vibrant prosperous healthy and greener in the future and so you know, transport for London has a role to play in in all of those things, and we know that um, air pollution um, is a big health problem in our cities. And so, one of the things which we have done as an organisation is to um, implement these low emission zones. And just recently, we expanded that low emission zone to cover most of the, the area of London, and that requires. You know, people to either change their car to sort of greener cars that that pollute less so that um, we can improve London's air quality or to pay a, a charge to drive an older car that pollutes more and you know, the idea being that that discourages you know as much travel using those vehicles that pollute more and more use of public transport which is which is greener as well so that London's transport network continues to be you know a green alternative. That expanded zone has been in place for a few months now, and obviously that was a big, big change for for some people. But it it seems to be operating you know, reasonably well at the moment, and we continue to sort of monitor the results of of that. 
Thank you very much for having me this afternoon and uh, and thank you for your questions. You're very welcome. Bye. Goodbye. And now we are going to talk to Hustle Inclusion and they provide training for companies about inclusion. Today we are joined by Liam Hassel from Hassel Inclusion. Hello, Liam. Thanks for your intro, David. Really appreciate it and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Hi, Liam. And you have me on that hotel, hi boy, you good? So just to give a little bit of information about myself and the organisation I work for. So I, I work for a company called Hassle Inclusion. We were founded in 2011 and we've been helping organisations, both large and small, in improving their digital accessibility across their organisation. We have clients both from a local perspective, so those in the UK, but also those globally around the world. And we work in various sectors, so things such as banking, software as a service, pharmaceuticals, regulation, local government, so like your local councils. Uh, and we help support them through a range of different ways. So things like training, uh, auditing, consultancy, and then benchmarking against international standards. So just to give context as to who I am. So I am a business accessibility consultant. So I help benchmark where organizations are against what is an international standard that our CEO, Jonathan Hassel, created. And we do this to try and identify where organizations can enhance their accessibility to make their products and their services more inclusive to people with disabilities. I come from a disability background. So my brother is in a wheelchair and I myself actually have uh, Asperger's. So accessibility is something that I have seen basically operate since I was born. And really my passion is to help organizations see not only the benefit to users with access needs, but also to themselves as a business. So they understand why it's so important for them. What does accessibility mean to you? So accessibility to me is about eliminating barriers for people with disabilities. As maybe some of your listeners will know, about 20% globally have a disability. And in the UK, it's about 24%. So you're looking at around 16 million people. And another 20% might have a progressive impairment. So you might be getting a bit older or maybe you've got a condition which gets a little bit worse over time. And so accessibility is about taking away the barriers that prevent people with disabilities from acting independently or acting as if everyone else uh, in the world does so. So whether that is, you know, doing things like putting in ramps to buildings so people with wheelchairs can go into them or more in sort of our organization space, we look at things like making sure that websites work for people that maybe have a motor impairment. So maybe they can't use a mouse. We need to make sure that it works in a different way for them. And so for me, accessibility is about helping organizations reduce those barriers and allow people to participate in society freely like that. What is inclusion training? So inclusion training to me is about educating people on all user groups, especially those that might be underrepresented. So there are lots of protected characteristics out there, though, so things like sexual orientation and race uh, and disability is one of them. And so inclusion training should focus on 
teaching people about what these individuals go through on an everyday basis and about what they need to help support them so that they can act as any equal member of society. Most of the people that I've talked to with a disability don't want, you know, the world and above. They just want to be able to do what everybody else can do. And so inclusion training is about teaching people what's important for people with disabilities, what they need in terms of support. So maybe that's, you know, how they should be spoken to, or maybe it should be about making digital products that people with disabilities can use. And it's nice and simple. And it's really about breaking down assumptions, allowing people to understand what makes people with disabilities, you know, tick. Uh, and, you know, what they need from the world in order to just be, as I mentioned, part of society and not have any barriers that stop them from doing everything that everybody else wants to do. How am I going to be any more people? So there's a variety of different things that places and businesses can do to be more accessible. And the first thing that I would always say is you need to talk uh, to your users. So... What you want to do is you don't want to assume what the needs of people with disabilities are. You know, each individual with a disability is unique. And whilst there are some that will have needs that are the same, there are also those that are different. And so what you should always do first is start off by talking to your user group and your community about what do these people with disabilities actually want from us rather than assuming those needs, creating a solution and then that solution not working because they never asked anybody. And they can do other things, you know, designing in collaboration. So if they're creating a new product, don't just start off by talking with users, but actually involve them in that process. People with disabilities are massively innovative because they see the world in a different way. And actually, that's why a lot of CEOs actually ha have things like uh, neurodivergent conditions. Um, you know, Elon Musk has uh, autism. It allows him to see the world in a different way. And so designing in collaboration with people with disabilities allows you to develop products that not only meet their needs, but actually can help meet the needs of other users as well. The best example in something like this is subtitles. Subtitles were created to help people with hearing impairments, but actually subtitles can help everybody. You might be on a busy train and you can't hear what's around you. And so you turn on your subtitles so that you can watch your program whilst it's still being busy. The other thing that places can do is build a mission statement around accessibility, creating a central direction for people to go towards. So everyone is working towards the same goal. Everyone is working towards the same direction and everyone understands why it is so important. So those would be the things that I think places and businesses can do to be more accessible. Making big changes could be expensive. But what small changes can places make? So you're absolutely right. Some big changes can be quite expensive, but there are lots of things that you can do on a lesser expensive basis. So if we focus on sort of the digital aspects of things like uh, technology, uh, one of the key things that people can do is when they're making something like a PowerPoint or a Word document, Microsoft have built-in accessibility checkers to help make sure that the content you produce is accessible. It doesn't do everything, but it's a great starting point to make sure that when you're publishing things, uh, maybe it's to the public or maybe it's within the business, that you check to make sure, have I thought about the colour contrast so that people that might struggle with colour can still see what I'm trying to say. 
it might be that, for example, for blind people, they use something called a screen reader, uh, and that takes out the uh, the alt text of images so that they can hear what those images are. What it does is it allows you to be told, have you thought about the alt text in this instance, uh, and give you some suggestion on what it could be. Or it could be that it looks at things like the reading order. So when it's running through a screen reader, does it read out everything in a logical way that someone that is sighted can see it? So that's one thing you can do. Second thing that's really less expensive to do is think about your whole audience. You know, when you're creating a new product, a new service, maybe you're putting out a social media post, it doesn't take any money to just think about your whole audience. And your whole audience includes people with disabilities. As we mentioned, that's about 24% of the UK population. And so whenever anybody is going to publish something, it's likely that someone with a disability is going to be reading that or using it. And so that's a great way too. Other ways can be things like staying up to date with, you know, thought leaders. So it might be that you want to follow some people that are particularly active in the disability and the accessibility community. So as part of Asset Inclusion, we do a monthly webinar. Uh, that webinar is to help organizations not only understand accessibility, but try and solve or give them help in solving some of the problems that they might be experiencing. So it might be that they need to get buy-in from someone senior so that they can get more budget for their accessibility program. Or it might be the regulations have changed. And so they need to know, well, what's the impact on me? So we have a monthly webinar uh, and we actually have those monthly webinars stored on our online portal in HiHub. Uh, that allow people to watch them completely for free and educate themselves. And so those are, you know, some small changes that people can make without actually having to spend any money. And you could do, you know, as we mentioned, you know, smaller things like training and research for not loads of money either um, that can start to make real big changes in an organization. Thank you, Liam Hassel, for coming on and helping us out. Thank you for doing this interview. In terms of social media, we are on uh, LinkedIn, so you can find us at Hassel Inclusion. We also have a website that's just hasselinclusion.com. On there, you can find information about us as an organization. It's me and all of the Irish Workers team. Thank you. Thanks you for listening. But we're gonna continue talking to the accessibility community, and we're gonna start the interview with Nationwide. I'm free to the introduction of the company. See you. Goodbye.